Hey, it's Doug Bursch, and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. On today's show, we're going to talk about the myth of balance. So many people talk about living a balanced life, yet we all seem to define balance in different ways. In fact, balance is sometimes just a code word for whatever we're doing. Do we really need balance when it comes to truth and love, or the intellect and the emotions, or forgiveness and justice? Maybe balance is not the right word. In fact, on today's show, I'm going to contend for a different reality. We're going to talk about the myth of balance on Fairly Spiritual. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken. Thanks for listening. So I didn't do a podcast last week, and you know why? Because I'm lazy. Uh, No good excuse. I think I'm rebelling against the fact that I used to do a radio show where it was every day, live, 4 to 6 p.m., Monday through Friday, five, five years in a row. And so I love the freedom that I can just not do a podcast. But for those of you who were like, hey, Doug, what's going on? Sorry. I try to do these on a weekly basis. I'll try to stick with the program, but I can't guarantee it. Sorry, just can't guarantee it. Because as you know, podcasts are not a big money-making venture. So uh, sometimes I'm not motivated by making a podcast on a weekly basis because uh, there's no money in it. Is that wrong for me to say that? What I'm saying is I also have to do things that provide an income for my family because uh, the way this economy works If you don't bring in money, your family starves. Uh, With that, here's an awkward transition. (laughs) Hey, thank you to everyone who purchased uh, my book in uh, January. Uh, I uh, have published the book, uh, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And uh, I've been very excited to see people uh, purchasing the book on Amazon or the Audible version. I'd love for some of you to pick up that Audible version. Uh, I spent a bit of time trying to sound like Morgan Freeman. It's hard to read your own words. Uh, It's one thing to write them down. It's another thing to hear them spoken out loud. But there's the audible version. um, You know, there's the print version and the digital version. Uh, They're priced accordingly. But I'd love for you to pick that up. The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. But I want to thank you for picking up the book and for purchasing it. Uh, That's a great way to support what I'm doing here, and uh, to get the word out, uh, you know, obviously not going into the publishing industry uh, <laughs> to make lots of money, but it does help me uh, that uh, you purchase those books. So is it all right for me just to say thank you? Is that crass? I don't like to pretend. I, I, you know, I know sometimes people like to seem above the fray. You know, I don't talk about stuff like that, but I, I think that's almost a form of pride. I, I'd rather just be honest. It's nice to sell a few books, 
that helps me out. I wrote a book that I'd like you to read. So thank you for reading it. And those who haven't, but like the show, hey, if you like the show and you listen on a regular basis, dude, why haven't you purchased the book? Am I guilting you there? I don't know. But if you were my friend, I'd probably do the same thing. I'd give you a nudge and say, come on, it's about time. Uh, So on today's show, we're going to talk about the myth of balance. And um, this is what I want to get at, is uh, often we put ideas on a false continuum. Now, continuum, think of a straight line. Uh, This is the magic of radio now, so you have to use your imagination, okay? Everyone uh, bring out your imagination. Uh, But a continuum, just think of a straight line, and on one side of the line, there's an idea or a concept. On the other side of the continuum, there's another concept. And the idea is that these two ideas or these two concepts are on the same continuum, but they're on opposite sides. And so the concept of balance is you don't want to be on you know, way over on one side of the continuum or way on the other side of the continuum. You want to be in that magical middle space of the continuum, the place of balance, that perfect place that balances the scales, right? You know, in our economy, we do this. I won't talk much about this on today's show, except for right now, but we talk about this. You know, I don't want to be a super decadent, extremely, you know, just terrible person when it comes to money and buying wasteful stuff. Uh, However, you know, I don't want my kids to be wearing rags. I want to be somewhere in that moderate middle. Some of you are are judging that statement. You're saying, I don't want to be moderate middle. You know, I've given my life to Christ. I just do the bare minimum. Others are saying, hey, I like fine stuff. Nothing wrong with that. You're a little bit more on the Joel Osteen side. But but you know what I'm saying? We, we kind of have this middle place, the, the moderate place. We all want to think of ourselves as in the middle class or in the moderate place. The problem in our culture is we don't really know where the middle is anymore because our capitalistic culture is trying to fool us of what the middle is. And an example of that is if you go to buy anything for your baby, uh, it's it's getting worse, but I remember even when we had our first child, uh, we went to you know the baby store. I always think it's funny that Toys R Us you get toys at, and Babies R Us you don't get babies. But anyway, we went to like a Babies R Us, and there were there there weren't actual babies there, but there was stuff for babies, and um, there was this huge. We just went to get you know okay, we're gonna get a stroller, uh, we're gonna get a high chair, just a simple list. We were so naive, right? You know that oh, how hard can this be? You know, just a simple list of things. We're simple people, right? We're we're not Amish but we can relate, right? So we're just, we're, we're simple people. We don't need fancy stuff. We're not fancy. Let's just get something simple. Now, now we're not, we're not going to get something that you put together with an Allen wrench, you know, something so flimsy that our child is endangered, but we're not going to get something extravagant. We're just going to get something simple, right? A, a stroller, a simple stroller. So we're like, you know, where's the stroller aisle? And some of you know this, right? You, you, this, this experience, you've experienced this, right? Just Where's the stroller aisle? So we can see your you know, your four options, your five options for strollers. And so we stroll down the aisle. We found the stroller aisle. We took a right. And suddenly we saw this, this giant row of, it wasn't a hundred strollers, but it might as well have been. There was just this line of strollers. And it was just overwhelming. And the high-end strollers had technology in them that my first car didn't have. You know, just things that you're, no child needs this. I, I, and this, by the way, this was back when, back when I was, I mean, 
my kids are still my youngest kid is still in he's in fifth grade but but the reality is now i i presume they have smart computers on their strollers and such but even then it was ridiculous and so you're you're trying to find this moderate middle you know this place of balance and it's so hard to find balance when the high end is just absurd and then the low end you're like well we're not that but we're not this and that that's the struggle right everybody's like just do something balanced just do something moderate and we don't know what to do. So on the stroller continuum, on the issue of decadent versus responsible, it's hard to find the middle. Well, we do this not just with things we buy, but we do this with ideas and concepts in our culture. And I want to look at the myth of balance and how dangerous it is with very important concepts about faith and how Christians do this in the language we use. And I see this on social media and I see this in the church, and I'd look like to challenge the myth of balance a little bit. So let's get into that, if we could, okay? One example of a continuum, a spiritual continuum, and I will see this, is where people will talk about a balance between truth and love. They'll say, well, we'll say, you know, Jesus said a lot about love, right? And so you'll tweet something out saying, you know, we need to, to love our enemies, we need to be loving. Christians need to be loving. And someone will respond, yeah, but, you know, we need to speak the truth. And uh, someone will say, you know, we need to speak the truth to power. And someone else will respond back, yeah, but we need to be loving. In that dialogue, in that exchange, in that argument is a false continuum. It's a false understanding of truth and a false understanding of love. It's a false assumption. The assumption is, and you and you hear people say this, we need to have a balance between loving someone and speaking the truth. In my opinion, uh, from a scriptural point of view, if you think there is a balance between the truth and love, you don't really understand the biblical concept of love and the biblical concept of truth. Truth and love are not on the same continuum. Love is its own thing, and truth is its own thing. In fact, truth and love are not things. Love is God, and truth is God. And God is fully love, and God is fully truth. When God encounters us and interacts with us, God doesn't go like, oh, you know, I'm going to be a little loving, but not so truthful. Or I'm going to be fully truthful, but not so loving. God is always fully truth with us and fully love. And he asks us to be the same. That we are to be fully people who love completely in, in as much fullness as humanly possible, and we are people who are fully of the truth. In the same context, uh, you see this argument when it comes to grace and truth. And I put grace with love, the idea. People go, well, you know... I understand grace, but we got to stand for the truth. And well, this idea again of, well, I, you got to have this balance between grace and truth. Well, you got to stand for the truth, but yeah, you got to give them some grace, but not too much grace because you still got to stand for the truth. And again, it's this idea that grace is on one end of the continuum and truth is on the other. And we're called to live in this messy, moderate middle. The problem with that kind of view of grace and truth our love and truth, is it's not biblical. I was looking at uh, how John starts his gospel, and John uh, refers to Jesus as grace and truth. In 1 John 14, or in John 1, 14, 
as says, and the word became flesh, and that's Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, um, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That Jesus is full of grace and truth. In one seventeen, a little later, it says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, what else does John talk a lot about? in the Gospel of John, about love, right? The sign that you've been brought from death to life is you love your brother, that there's a lot about love. So grace, truth, and love are not competing concepts. They're concepts that come together. That Christians are to be fully about the truth and fully about love and fully about grace. Now, some people say, well, why are you focusing on this, Doug? It's not that big of a deal. It's a huge deal in the way we talk about things because it's very important that when you talk about love, you never, in my opinion, that you never weaken the full impact of what love is. And if love is ever defined as, well, in loving someone, you don't necessarily contend for the truth, then you've done great damage to the definition of love. And if you ever, in contending for truth, weaken that, well, in contending for truth, that means sometimes you don't have to be loving, then you've basically brought a satanic foothold into truth. These are incredibly crucial concepts. If you ever believe that to contend for truth, you no longer have to love or love completely, or in loving, you no longer have to contend for the truth, in either of those answers, you've brought a satanic foothold into the equation. You've brought darkness and death. You've actually brought an antichrist spirit into the equation. I know those are really strong statements, and I'm not saying people are trying to be antichrist, but you're actually working against the truth and the love of the kingdom, because Jesus, in advancing the kingdom, was and is complete truth and complete love. And we are called to be complete truth and complete love. So in this context, it's not truth first and then love. It's not love first and then truth. It's not a balance between truth and love. It's fully truth and fully love. In fact, I would say it this way. If love becomes a secondary value to truth, it ceases being love. If truth becomes a secondary value to love, if truth becomes a secondary value to love, it seeks, you know, ceases being the uh, truth. I'm, I'm getting it mixed up, the dyslexic here. I found it's, it's so fascinating. Um, in Twitter, there are crusaders in all contexts, and it's, it amazes me the, the fear that people get when you say you must contend for both. That people will get upset. Like right now what I'm saying, there are people getting upset. They want to fight against this biblical truth. It's a biblical truth. Now, if you don't like the Bible, that's fine. I mean, you, you could not like the Bible, but it's a Christian truth. And there's Christians who get upset about this truth. And they're like, if I say something like, you know, we're supposed to love our enemies. And then they'll, they'll tweet back. But we have to stand for the truth. As if loving your enemies had nothing to do with standing for the truth. That somehow, yes, if I'm going to love my enemies, I you bet I'm going to stand for the truth. You know, a great way to love your enemy is to call them to the truth, is to point out the truth, is to call them to justice and to stand for justice and to not allow them to keep on sinning against others and to uh, actually bring uh, the darkness to the light and to bring them to the full consequences and weight of their sin and actually to have them walk through a true 
uh, process of accountable uh, repentance, accountability where you have to pay legal prices for the sin that you've done to others because you care about the sin you've done and so you're willing to do whatever it takes in order to be right with the legal system around you and right with the people you've hurt. That to love your enemy is not to dismiss or to think it's not a big deal that they've sinned against others. To love your enemy is to do whatever it takes to prevent them from harming others because I don't want my enemy to continue to sin against others because that certainly doesn't benefit them as well as it doesn't benefit others. But I'm still to be motivated as Jesus clearly said, by a genuine love for my enemies. And boy, isn't that difficult. Love your enemies. But in loving my enemies, I can't just be, well, you know, ah, you know, we'll just overlook this. No, it's truth. Truth can't become a secondary value. Truth can't be, well, you know, the important thing is everybody feels okay and, you know, give everybody a hug and move on. And No, it's, it's full truth. Full love. I'd like you to think about your life. Do you do you do that? Do you make this idea of well, I I, I can't love that person because they're not truthful, or I, or you know, or I first first I have to acknowledge the truth and then I'll love. You see this a lot. You see this in political circles. I'll see this with Christians where they're like, well, you know, first I'm going to do a truth argument fight, and then when we can see who wins in the truth argument, then we'll love. But until you agree with me in my truth, I'm not going to love you. That's not biblical. While contending for the truth, I must still love you. And while loving you, I must contend for the truth. The motivation of my heart in the first interaction with you and in the last interaction is that I am genuinely trying to love you. Even if I'm confronting you, that it's motivated by genuine love and a genuine desire that you be reconciled to God and that we be reconciled in some way. But if you put it in this continuum of, well, there's truth on one side and love on the other, you have this kind of mysterious balance. I've seen people do this with the concept of oppressors and those sinned against. They'll say, well, I stand with those who are sinned against. Yes, completely. We should stand with those who are sinned against. And yes, when Jesus says, love your enemies, we love our enemies. And in loving your enemies, it doesn't mean you can't stand with those who are sinned against. What we're doing is we're making all these false continuums that says, well, to love my enemies means I can't stand with the oppressed. That's not true. You know, a great way to love your enemies is to do everything you can to keep them from oppressing people. That's actually love. But if we buy into the lie that loving your enemies is somehow oppressing the people that they're oppressing, then we've created a false dichotomy. We've created a very unbiblical way of looking at things. And you see people go into this, and I've seen, I've seen people who literally who put themselves in Christian categories and and just say, I'm just going to love this group, this group over here. I will only love this group. And then the other groups, they attack with just vileness and anger and ridicule and belittling and show no expressions of love or very little expressions of love. And when they're challenged on that, they basically just say, no, I'm, I, you know, if I love my enemies, that means somehow that I'm siding with their evil behavior. The reality is, if you love your enemy, you're siding with Christ. Now, we know the purpose of loving enemies is for the purpose of defeating their evil work and bringing justice to those who are oppressed. See, that's another false dichotomy. Here's another one, another area where we say balance, forgiveness and justice. 
the difference between forgiveness and justice. And sadly, I've seen people vacillate between either side here. The reality is that forgiveness does not keep people from seeking justice. And justice does not keep people from forgiveness. You see, churches do this in the context, and I did a whole show on this about uh, two episodes before that I'd love for you to, to, to listen to. But there are consequences for behaviors of sin, and, and the church should be advocates for that if anyone has abused anyone or oppressed anyone, that if they are repentant, regard, first, regardless if they're repentant, they should fully face the justice of any legal system or any law. It's not the job for, for the churches to somehow surpass that. It's our job to bring that legal justice. If you're in America, there's laws. There are clearly, it's not my job to decide, well, you know, let's just figure this thing out on my own. If there's a crime committed, if there's injustice committed, if there's oppression, then I immediately I'm going to report somebody and because I don't want them to sin against another person. I don't want them to harm another person. I don't want them to abuse another person. I love the people who are being oppressed. I don't want them to be oppressed. And I love, and I'm supposed to love the person who's, a, who's the oppressor. And the last thing I want them to do is to sin against another person. And the only way I'm going to stop that is by turning that person in and hoping that they get themselves right with their creator and they face the full consequences of the sinful behavior they've engaged in. Because that person can be forgiven by God, and even maybe if they're the person that they've sinned against can forgive them, but forgiveness has nothing to do with the fact that they still got to go through the consequences of being in America and living in a legal system and, and serving their sentence and paying for their crime. There's a big difference between eternal existence and the reality that we have laws and consequences to our behaviors. But you see, people do this as well, that, well, you can't talk about forgiveness and reconciliation uh, and justice at the same time. You can talk about both. You can fully talk about that someone would get the full justice of the legal system, and sometimes there's incredible injustice in the legal system. I've seen that. You've seen that. And you can also say, get your life right with God. But the last thing you do is put on a victim and say, you know, well, let's just not put this in a legal system and you just need to put it on yourself and just forgive the person, make it all go away. No, you know, the reality is if someone's sorry, they're going to take the full weight of responsibility and they're going to take the legal justice and they're not going to demand anything from you. So we're sinning against victims if they've been sinned against and we say, no, no, well, what you need to do is you just forgive the person and let's just make this all go away and no one has to face any consequences. That's not justice. We know even with the thief on the cross, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, but he did not remove him from that cross. He faced earthly justice, whether he belonged there or not, he faced that earthly justice. The eternal justice was a different thing. We have a lot of false dichotomies, false dichotomies between truth and love. We are to be fully people of truth, fully people of love. Fully people of grace, fully people of truth. Grace isn't overlooking truth. Grace is that I don't love people based on what they do or they don't do. I love them based on Jesus Christ. I love people based on the cross of Jesus Christ, but I still proclaim the truth. Here's another area that's a little different. It's getting a little heavy here, sorry. 
It's, but here's another one that I see that people make false dichotomies. It's in a different area. And, and, and by the way, just to complete that area, it's a false dichotomy between forgiveness and justice. Well, you know, you don't want to forgive too much uh, because, you know, you won't get enough justice. Or you don't want to give too much justice because it works against forgiveness. Now you can have complete justice and you can also have forgiveness. But here's another one that I see, and this is often used against uh, women. Now, I'm not saying that all women are emotional, uh, but on a, on a continuum, sometimes women are, are able to express their emotions a little better, or uh, there's a lot of disconnected men in ministry. I don't, I don't know. We could have a whole show on that and talk about that. Uh, but again, regardless of whether it's a man or a woman, let's just talk about people who are able to express a wider array of emotions versus people who aren't. Uh, here's another false dichotomy where people talk about balance. And it's the concept of the intellect versus the emotional, or intellectual versus emotional. And I've seen this brought into preaching. I've seen pastors try to make this a spiritual thing where there's this idea, and it's not even a balance area here. They do this, that what's most important is the intellectual. We as Christians are intellectual. We're not emotional beings. The most important is our intellectual uh, prowess, our intellectual understanding of God, our intellectual understanding of the scripture, and then the emotional is secondary. Uh, even in that, they kind of have this idea of a continuum where we're intellectual and emotional beings, but you really want to be on the intellectual side and you want to have a balance. You want to make sure that you don't get too emotional. You want to keep those emotions in check. And the assumption is emotional people are just not as stable. And in fact, what they're saying is not that emotional people are not as stable. They're saying people with certain kinds of emotions are not as stable. People who have certain kinds of emotions they express are just not as spiritual. The truly spiritual people are the people who only express these kinds of not very expressive emotions. It is a false dichotomy to put the emotion and the intellectual life of a human being on the same continuum. They are not. They're not on the same continuum. And this, to me, would bring much freedom to people, and I hope it would bring freedom to you. As Christians, as believers, we can be fully intellectual and fully emotional. This whole idea that you have to balance these things out is just foolishness. It's not biblical. It's just foolishness. Now, the Scripture says, don't live katasarka, um, according to the flesh. And, and with that, what Paul says there, it, it, don't live katasarka, he says, live katanuma, according to the spirit, not katasarka, according to the flesh. Now, according to the flesh, he says, don't live according to sensuality, which is just according to any senses, which is according to the intellect as well. He's just, your senses, what you taste, what you touch, what you feel, live according to the spirit. What, what, Paul is saying is we are spirit-led beings. We have the Holy Spirit that abides in us, so we don't just live based on what we taste, what we touch, what we sense, what we feel. Emotions are in there, but even just kind of what seems right to me and prudent to me, we don't just live based on the senses, the sensory, what I see with my eyes and hear with my ears, uh, taste. I don't know how many religious decisions we make on taste. As a missionary, there's a few meals where you did it on taste. But the reality is we don't do it based on senses. We do it katanuma, according to the Spirit. So that's the teaching. It's not a teaching about emotions. It's just a teaching about we live according to the Spirit, not according to our own flesh. But this whole idea that somehow the emotional life is dangerous 
and the intellectual life is pious is just not a biblical argument. We're supposed to love God with everything. That's the greatest commandment, right? With, with all our mind, all our strength, everything. Our soul, our spirit, everything. Just all of us, all, all of our, and so all of your emotions, because the reality is emotions are on their own continuum and the intellect is on its own continuum. They exist in their own realm. And in fact, uh, for transformation to occur, we need our emotions to fully be active with the kingdom of God and our intellect to be fully active. And some of the most dangerous people I've met are people who are not emotionally connected, who are very intellectually connected with things, but emotionally they're disconnected. What you're really saying is that every person is emotional, just some people demonstrate certain emotions. And often people demonstrate apathy as an emotion. Apathy is without not feeling. They just demonstrate a very disconnected, uh, disconnected, not very expressive, cold, not very loving or warm emotion. That's an emotion. It's just on the continuum of emotionalism and it's just not very expressive. And they will say, this is the kind of emotions you need to express. Someone else who's more emotive, who might laugh or cry or just show more expressive emotions or different emotions, it's just a different emotion. Those emotions aren't any worse or any better. They're just different emotions. I think expressing more emotions might be better than just limited emotions. But at least they're not worse. The reality is there's no balance between the intellect and the emotions. We're to be fully emotionally engaged and fully intellectually engaged. And churches that make people feel bad for being emotionally engaged are dangerous. Pastors who make people feel bad for be, being emotionally engaged are dangerous. And I've found that theological traditions that have a low view of women, that have a low view of, um, well, I don't know how else to say it, uh, who have a high view of men in leadership often also belittle emotional expressions. Also, it's the same category of churches who often have a low view of Pentecostal expressions. And most Pentecostal expressions have a higher view of women in ministry and women in leadership. It's not a surprise because in general, you'll find that men have a more difficult time expressing their emotions. And also the work of the spirit is often tied to these more emotive expressions, the fruit of the spirit, kindness, goodness, gentleness, these things that kind of are rooted within our emotional makeup. Why do I bring this up? I just, I feel some people have been kept in this imprisoned place where they feel bad for their emotions. And I've seen this where you're in a theological argument with your pastor or with a leader and you feel frustrated and you begin to show your frustration and you tear up or you begin to get passionate and they're controlled and calm and and because they're controlled and calm and don't show much emotions, that's used against you. Because clearly, you're not in the place of balance as they are. Well, maybe. Maybe they're just not emotionally healthy. Maybe a natural response would be to weep and to cry and to express stronger emotions. I bring this up just because I've had to deal with this, that I, I don't have the right to judge someone because they have different emotional expressions. You might say, Doug, you just judge people who 
don't express their emotions much. Well, I'm pushing the pendulum a little bit because there is a teaching within churches that says, you know, it's not about the emotions, it's just about the Word of God, and it's just about the intellect, and it's just about, and this is what's important, and it, that's just not theological. The reality is God fully saves the full human being, and as Christians, we can fully express our love for God in full intellectual and emotional ways. It's a false dichotomy to tell people they have to be in that kind of balanced way. And that's one of the reasons I think Christians have not supported the arts very well, because we don't understand emotional expressions. We don't give freedom to expressions that aren't rooted as much into turning Christianity into a science. Doctrine is so often like that, where we're just, okay, here's the three points and the four points and the intellectual part. We turn God into a math equation, but God is, much, God is as much a poet as he is a mathematician. God is as much a dancer as he is, what, a scientist. And when we make a hierarchy of one expression over another expression, we do damage to the full expression of the kingdom of God. Instead of calling people to be balanced in this false continuum, let's let them to be free to express themselves the way God created them. All right, here's some thoughts on that. I just, I just wanted to tackle this. I know it's kind of a, an odd topic for today, but maybe you've been in that place where you're feeling like you have to balance things out. And Well, I don't want to give too much love. i got to stand for the truth, and I don't want to be too much grace because it could be about the truth, and I, w- I want to make sure that I, you know, I don't want to be too emotional because it's got to be about, you know, intellectual, and just let that die for a second. Maybe those are just false dichotomies. Maybe we can be fully about truth and love and grace and we can be fully engaged intellectually and we can fully express things emotionally and we can fully stand against injustices, but we can also find a way to love our enemies. Maybe we can try to do all this with the grace and the love and the goodness and the presence of Jesus Christ helping us along the way. Maybe we can try at least. All right. Hey, make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. He's not through with you. I'd love it if you could pick up my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. Uh, You can get it at Amazon or you can go to my uh, website, fairlyspiritual.org, and I'll mail you a signed copy. It's a little bit more on my site, but I will mail you a signed copy and it'll be worth less once I sign it. Uh, This music is uh, done by my brother, Dan Bursch. You can pick up his songs on iTunes. All right. I will see you next time. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through.
dreams with you.